brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, Marina, New Zealand, good morning to uh, most of you. I understand we're still having problems in the Hawke's Bay area, so we're working on that. That's uh, all I can tell you, even though uh, what I'm saying now you can't hear. But uh, that is, uh, we're working on the transmitter apparently, so uh, that's uh, the news that we have there. Uh, for the rest of you that uh, can hear the show, that's fantastic. Uh, courtesy of Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Uh, we are going to uh, go to Garth Galloway, really a respected cricket commentator with his views uh, on a couple of cricket uh, games today and in general on the Black Caps season, I think. Uh, so uh, the Black Caps are playing Sri Lanka this afternoon. Uh, that, of course, is at uh, Hagley Oval. Uh, meanwhile, uh, three hours earlier, uh, the Ford Trophy starts here at uh, McLean Park in Nathia. Bit of a clash, isn't there? Uh, however, we'll hear from uh, Jack Boyle, actually. I know Jack Boyle. Uh, he's playing against uh, his brother Matt. Uh, in the final today. That'll be interesting. Uh, we'll have it in case you missed it um, around about uh, 9.30 this morning. Uh, we're uh, hoping to get a, a football guest on because I think we need to review the All Whites performance. It's been a couple of days since they knocked over China. But it would be nice to see where you think we're at. And, and where uh, are we at in terms of a coach? Uh, has he done enough, Darren Baisley, now uh, breaking the goal drought? Uh, is that enough for him to get the tick in the column? Uh, he clearly wants the job. Nick Ahern after 11 o'clock this morning. Um, and that is to talk about uh, a review of the match play, which was absolutely fascinating. But a preview of the Masters coming up. Of course, the Live Golf is next month, just uh, a, a couple of weeks away, making its debut in Australia in Adelaide. So we'll be talking to him. We'll have an earlier stump today, 100 bucks up for grabs. So uh, stand by your beds at about uh, 10.30 and your phones as well. Uh, we'll uh, also uh, go to uh, Shane O'Brien from Collier's Rural Around about 11.30, we'll have a, a chat with him. So um, it's cool. We'll have a good show, and uh, we'll start with a sermon with a difference, I think. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, this is interesting, actually. Uh, I was going to sit down and write a sermon this morning. Normally I do, I try and provoke uh, calls or uh, texts or whatever, but uh, I didn't have to this morning because I looked around at a couple of interesting comments from overseas and I thought on double eight double three the t- temper bed post text line, you might want to comment on these um, because it brings up uh, a couple of issues. Uh, last night on Nine's 100% footy, this is Phil Gould on Joseph Su'ali'i. Every time he scores a try, every time he does something in our game, people are going to refer to the fact that he's going to rugby. Why do we need that? Go now. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Go now. Gone. He's made his decision. I've loved but having him in league. He's a tremendous athlete and uh, great for the game. But he's decided to be a rugby player. Bye-bye. Off you go. What are your thoughts on that? Which means uh, he leaves the Roosters right now and he doesn't play anything, basically, for about 18 months. What are your thoughts on that from uh, Phil Gould? Interesting. And here's another one from overseas. Uh, Sarah Hunter. 141 caps, 10 Six Nations titles, one World Cup win as the captain of England. She has retired, um, going out in blaze of glory as England absolutely swamped Scotland at the weekend. Simon Middleton, the England coach. England's greatest player without a shadow of a doubt. Men's, women's, I can't see how anyone can say there's been a better player. Interesting, interesting. A better England rugby player than Sarah Hunter. Better than Johnny Wilkinson. Better than Martin Johnson. 
better than all those great players that uh, have worn the jersey over the years. So there brings another point of debate, I suppose. What do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that he says that? Is it possible to compare the standard of the best women rugby player to the best men? Could we do it in this country? Of all time I'm talking about. Uh, we do because we uh, they share the Caltramain Award and one or other get it at some point. Kendra Coxedge got it a few years back. She was the first woman to ever be judged as the best rugby player in New Zealand over a 12-month period of time. It's a really interesting debate. Cricket uh, recognised this and they said, no, no, we can't have that because a woman, really, um, it's a different game and women have uh, different roles in playing cricket. They don't play test cricket. Therefore, we'll create the Debbie Hockley Award. They did it right. Should rugby think about that? That's uh, another debating point. Double eight, double three. That's our temper bedpost text line. And that was uh, a sermon I borrowed, really, from overseas. Very, very interesting. Right, an incredibly big day for cricket around the country today with the Ford Trophy set to get underway here in uh, Napier, where I can tell you it is a beautifully fine day. And the second one-day international between the Black Caps and Sri Lanka uh, gets underway at 2 o'clock this afternoon. First, it's a white ball showdown between the Central Stags and Canterbury. Originally, it was meant to be played, of course, in Queenstown, but due to complications caused by the recent cyclone, the showpiece event has shifted to Napier's McLean Park. It will be the biggest sporting event that has happened since the cyclone in this region, I promise you that. Uh, then from uh, Hagley Oval, Sri Lanka will be looking to bounce back from a horrible, I mean, it was a horrible outing uh, last weekend at Eden Park. Um, they have to try and qualify for the World Cup still, so they've got plenty at stake. Uh, joining me now is uh, a man who has been uh, a voice for cricket for a long, long period of time, um, family-rich uh, in commentary pedigree. Uh, Garth Galloway, uh, pleasure to have you on the show, Garth, uh, on a, a weird sort of day for cricket where uh, all of a sudden we have two big men's games clashing. Good morning to you. Yeah, g'day, Smithy. I, I, I think my father, would he'd be turning in the grave hearing you delivering a sermon. Um, he, he was a religious man. <laughs> but I've looked up the definition and I've looked up the definition and it's a talk on a religious or moral subject. So you're taking the moral side of it. Good for you. Yes, I am, really. I'm talking on the um, devil's advocate side of it, I think, <laughs> to a large degree, Garth, because I don't think, I don't think uh, what, what, uh, what I brought up there would go down in a lot of quarters that well. But however, uh, hey, look, uh, first of all, most importantly, weather in Christchurch, good? Uh, no, well, I'm in Auckland, <laughs> oh. so I can't well, help with well, that. Have but you done before... a report? I have had a look. If it was being played here, it would be fine. Um, no, look, look, it looks like there is a little bit of rain in Christchurch this morning. Forecast to finish around 1 o'clock. So hopefully uh, they will get mm -hmm. a game in. The ground dries well down there, Smithy. So, yeah, hopefully things will kick off on time. Right, OK. Well, what a route that was the other day. What did you make of that? This is the Sri Lankan team with everything to play for against the New Zealand side, which is a bit of a patchwork quilt at the moment. 
it is, isn't it? And I see they lose. Um, Allen and Phillips disappear to the IPL again, you know, so, so it's a New Zealand side that's weaker. Well, I mean, the Sri Lankan side has really struggled. And, you know, I know we, we talk enthusiastically about the game and we love it, but it's hard to get excited about them. They're 10th in the World Cup at the moment. And as you say, they're desperately trying to qualify uh, you know, and, and not have to go through those qualifying matches against Zimbabwe and the likes. But I, I can't see it happening today, Smithy. I don't know how they'll recover from just a massive loss. Uh, their last game, um, before they came out here, they played against India. India scored mm. 390 for five against them, and they were bowled out for 73. Bowled out for 76 the other day against New Zealand. They are a, a very weak side. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the thing that they have got in their favour, I suppose, is, as you say, it's a bit of a patchwork quilt side, this New Zealand side, but they seem to be gelling and playing very well together. So I can't, I, I simply can't see a way uh, how Sri Lanka can get up and win today. But who knows? Right, let's talk, uh, can we, about uh, the New Zealand bowling attack because uh, there we have uh, young Henry Shipley picking up his maiden international five-wicket haul very early on in his career for just 31. Um, tell us a wee bit about uh, Henry Shipley, the Ben Listers of this world, these names that we're not familiar with but we might have to be. Well, yeah, and it's interesting, and because we don't, as you know, uh, Ian, cover the, the domestic cricket as we used to, because, of course, we used to broadcast every Canterbury game, every Otago game, all of the first-class cricket, all of the T20 and all of the, um, the, the, the four trophy stuff. So we could see these players coming through. Shipley, and his old man, was a good cricketer, James. He played a lot of cricket for North Canterbury and for Canterbury B from time to time. And Shipley's been coming through for, for, for a long time. I, I like the look of him. I mean, you, you see the difference, don't you, when he plays in the subcontinent on debut and how hard it is over there. And then he gets up against a side like Sri Lanka in conditions which are a little bit helpful, and he just excels himself. He's a tall bowler. He, he does move the ball around in the air. And I think it's, it's wonderful that he's getting an opportunity. One of the things that I think uh, the Sri Lanka series against Sri Lanka offer uh, Smithy is an opportunity to play some other players and I, I really hoped that New Zealand would do that in the uh, Sri Lankan Test Series that we could see a player like perhaps Glenn Phillips being given a run uh, in the middle order just to stop picking the same old players and, and try and bring players through but Chipley, you know, he bowled well they only bowled four bowlers in that match against um, Sri Lanka the other day they only had to. Henry of course and Mitchell bowled a few overs in Tikna who um, you know, again, seems to be well favoured. Uh, he's he's quite brisk. He can be at times, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Henry's the pick of them. Shipley looks to be useful, uh, but I still think our attack needs a bit of work. I, and I see today that they're picking that Sodi will play, which will be interesting. That'll be interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Canterbury have also unearthed uh, Chad Bowes. Of course, he's not. New Zealand born as such, he's going down the Conway route. Uh, what have you heard about him and what do you think of his prospects at the international level? I like him. I've watched him quite a lot. I think he's an aggressive player. He's a player who, I mean, he's come over here, he's desperate to play international cricket and he's succeeded in, in, in that, at the, you know, in having one game. Um, I, I sort of feel like he's a player who's matured a lot over the years. His shot selection is good. He's very good square of the wicket and pulling the ball. Uh, and he plays nicely down the ground. And I just feel in recent years he's been able, you know, when a player is looking for success, and that can often 
impede their thought processes and it results in the results not being as good as you might like. I just feel like he plays with a freedom now. If he can bring that into the international game, I think he has a prospect of, of succeeding. And, you know, this Canterbury, it, it's interesting, isn't it, today? They've got seven players there. Nichols, Bowles, uh, Latham, Shipley, Henry, Sodi, and uh, Mitchell. When was the last time that happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, that's a very, very interesting point as well, actually. Uh, another cricketer though, of interest uh, to me, and this little spot in the side that he's trying to make a name for himself in, which is currently occupied, I guess, by Michael Bracewell, is this Richin Ravindra yeah. uh, scenario. What we, where are we going here, Garth? You know, I mean, um, you know, we talk uh, at ad nauseum here about this, this bloody non-development of a spin bowler. Um, and I reminded it the other day because I saw uh, AJ Spitelli out at the golf course playing golf, for God's sake. I mean, you know, uh, I, I just wonder well, he what's might as happening well be. here. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might as well be. Um, you know, he, uh, Patel took those 14 wickets in India, um, the second most by a New Zealand bowler, and in the next calendar year he bowled two overs in Test cricket. And he bowled them in England and then was, was hit by Stokes and promptly taken out of the attack. It was just, you know, in, in the, the lack of confidence. You know, we're always looking for a spinner who can get some runs. And you look at the contrast around the world. When you look at a player like Nathan Lyon, who not a great uh, batsman by any stretch, but able... Okay, uh, so I think we might have lost Garth momentarily there. Um, technical problems, they are the bane of any broadcasting service, I can promise you that. So Garth's uh, gone, by the look of it, um, off the board, but we're going to call him back uh, because uh, uh, it's a very interesting uh, point he's bringing up, and it's one that um, we get a lot of text in, there's no doubt about it, on the show, about... Um, the spin bowling side of things and you said what a galling subject that is when you think about it or a galling statistic 14 yeah, guts back now 14 wickets in one test match and two overs since. I mean, could that have happened barring injury in any other country? Uh, I digress while we got you back there Garth, you're making a great point about that, that spin bowling role Well, I just yeah, I just feel that you know, you look at a player like Lyon who's been such a great off spinner for Australia doesn't score many runs for them, but is picked solely because he is a really fine spin bowler. Look at a player now, what McCullum's done with Jack Leach, and he just insists on having him in every test, no matter what the conditions are like. Um, again, you know, a stoic sort of batter, but not a person who's going to get a lot of runs. We're, we're just so focused on playing um, seam and swing bowlers and, and having a spinner who can bowl a few overs, and, but that has to score runs as well. And I do think we've got it. We've got it wrong. You and I have talked about it before. Um, I don't think. I mean, I, looking at Ravindra, and you'll remember that he went to India and played in that same series where Patel took took his wickets. He played in a couple of Test matches. Uh, Will Somerville as well. And again, I I just felt that he was a better batter than Bowler. He just looked to me to be. You know, and he's opened the batting for Wellington at times. And it was really good to see him taking his opportunity the other day and scoring. You know, scoring 49, it was a nice innings. 
Um, but but how good he is with the ball, I suspect he might be a better uh, white ball bowler. He bowls quite tightly. Uh, you know, he relies. He's not a great spinner spinner of the ball. He relies on variations in flight and so on. And I think if he gets a go against a side like an an, an underconfident Sri Lankan team, he'll be fine. But as you know, the test is uh, is, is really against sides like England, India, South Africa, Australia. That's when you want to see these players turning up and performing to the top level. So we don't really get a, a true indication against the likes of Sri Lanka at home. No, we don't. Okay. Now, here's a broader statement, and um, I, I just wonder whether you, you can agree or disagree on this one. Uh, for a long time, we played Santana. Um, we, I don't think we ever thought for one sure. second that Santana was going to bowl sides out, but we hoped that he might do one day. Uh, we picked him because um, it added to our batting depth. Um, so, uh, and I think here we go again with Michael Bracewell, who you can hardly call as a classy test spinner at this point. Um, you know, um, and, but he's a batter. He's, batting's his strongest suit. I just wonder, Garth, overall, if uh, where uh, England are obsessed now by winning under McCallum and Stokes, that's their obsession. They are obsessed yep. of, by uh, to win. Are we obsessed to not lose? Uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's that's always been a driving thing, and and in fact, I'd be interested to to, to to reflect with you on on how you felt it was when you were playing Smithy during that that great era. I mean, I always, I always felt actually that side with uh, with obviously with you the likes of uh, uh, obviously the great uh, Jay Headley um, and Crow. Uh, you know, I felt that that side learnt to win, if you like. So, mm. so you know, just looking back and thinking off the top of the head, that series against the West Indies, and, and of course Leeds was keeping them for New Zealand, wasn't he? But mm. um, that series against the West Indies was a real surprise. That was a great West Indian side. And you remember New Zealand mm. won that test in Dunedin. And and things kind of took off from there. And I you just saw this huge self-belief in the side. And I always felt... Um, not that that was a side that encouraged a lot of uh, spin bowling, but it was a side that I always felt looked to create opportunities to win. And then, then we really did um, seemingly lose a lot of confidence. I, I, th- I think it comes from leadership for me. I, I, you know, I think Williamson is just an extraordinary player, a wonderful batsman. You know, I think probably our greatest ever, and um, and, a, and a hell of a, a bloke as well, it seems. But I've just felt that he, in the current environment, when he was test captain, you know, winning wasn't wasn't everything, and we saw we saw opportunities. Indeed, even when Tim Saudi took over in Pakistan, games were just allowed to drift. And I think at times we have worried too much about losing, whereas McCullum has just thrown everything up and in, into the air and said, "Look, I don't care about that." What will be interesting, though, I think, as a result of that test at the basin where England uh, were beaten by New Zealand, and, and you know, they all say, "Well, what a great match it was." But I felt that England, you know, they threw it away. And mm. I'll be very interested to see how that impacts on how they play because they won't have enjoyed it. <laughs> they had everything their own way. And then I felt really <laughs> that they muscled up against Wagner and got it wrong and uh, really gave a game to us that we should have uh, we should have lost. Yeah, actually, you, you did, right. It was, uh, in fact, you could look also um, down there in Christchurch. We were only two pieces of cricket away from having a very average test season as opposed to reflecting on two great wins. Uh, right, let's, um, exactly. uh, Garth, we can, can we go to the Ford Trophy? Uh, because it uh, used to be um, one hell of a competition. Uh, it's, it's, it's me against you, uh, to be fair, isn't it? it it's, um, I, I suppose you're <laughs> legit. What, you got me still a, a very I'm a Cantabrian now, am I? 
Well, I think you, I, I think those, I'll, I'll always associate you there. That's, that's I think where I know you best, Garth. Um, right, so Fair let's enough. let's have a look at this. The Stags uh, at home now. A bit of a bonus for them to be at home after all this time because of um, the cyclone or whatever. Uh, against yep. um, a relatively depleted uh, Canterbury side, Stags not losing out too much actually. No, well, they're missing who? Young and Tickner, aren't they? And um, the Stags uh, and the Canterbury, the Kings are missing Nichols, Bowes, uh, Latham, Shipley, Henry, Sturdy and Mitchell. Um, so that's, mm. a, that, that's put a few holes in them. But, uh, but with that, it creates an opportunity, doesn't it? And as you say, it does. I mean, it really is. The, OD, the, the, the uh, 50 over final is one of the great occasions of New Zealand cricket. I see it's going to be streamed on YouTube, so people can have a look at it on there. Uh, and you would think Central Districts having won six out of their 10 matches, Canterbury uh, qualifying and then beating uh, Otago um, seems like a long time ago now because, of course, as you said, the cyclone got on the road at the final when it was supposed to be held. But Canterbury, just uh, they won that semi really well. Uh, they only won four of their ten games to get through to that, um, that elimination final. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to favour Central Districts, don't you, at home? Doug Bracewell is coming back. I think you've got Shemulian, who scored a lot of runs, 383 at 42.5 mm-hmm. for them, and he just needs 25 more runs to take it over from um, Hamish Rutherford as a top scorer in the competition. So you would think that they would be favourites. And, of course, that lovely moment, and you'll know Justin Boyle, in um, a former mm. Wellington player, a leg spinner, and brother of David, who played a lot of cricket for Canterbury. Uh, and, of course, the, the Boyle boys, one playing for Central Districts and one playing for Canterbury, with Jack having left at Canterbury and gone up to Central Districts. Mm. So two brothers playing against each other, and I'm sure Justin uh, will be present and watching. And that adds a really nice uh, element to it. Well, I hope there are a few more there. 11 o'clock on a Tuesday, uh, on a working day, Tuesday in Napier, uh, the way it is at the moment. I'm not quite sure how big the crowd will be, but I hope it is worthy of the occasion. Um, Garth Galloway, always a pleasure catching up with you, whatever the part of the world that you're in. Um, and it's, um, it's, I've just had a text in to say, your beloved Canterbury, someone has just said uh, they won't be playing cricket down here in Christchurch unless it's indoor, says Mark. It's raining cats and dogs, apparently, mate, so... We might have to. Um, oh. They don't have reserve. They don't have reserve days anymore. So we might have to rely no, on your forecast I'll, for clearing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll defer to Mark. Okay. Nice to talk to you, Smithy. As always, all the best. Cheers, Garth Galloway. There um, with his uh, thoughts on uh, interesting thoughts too on international and domestic cricket. Nine twenty-four here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Radio. Uh, we mentioned with Garth Galloway that the Boyle brothers are going head to head today. Uh, one uh, Jack Boyle for Central District, Matt playing for Canterbury, um, and so we uh, thought we'd catch up with Jack Boyle. He's a bit of a character, this dude. Actually, he's uh, come from Canterbury, um, come up to uh, Central District to try and try and play for the Stags. He's gone through uh, Central Hawks Bay Club, uh, through Hawks Bay, and he's made the grade. And this is uh, his thoughts on facing Big Brother or Brother Matt. I don't know if he's older or not. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I've only done it once before um, in a pre-season fixture, and to be fair, we were, um, yeah, it was pretty pretty loose out there, to be fair. He's, he's a pretty rogue character the best of times, so there was a bit of chat flying about, and it just felt like we're in the backyard again, but yeah, he's, he's my best mate, so I'm sure there'll be a few words shared, you know, during the game, but, you know, it'd be nice to share a beer with them after a, when we when we beat them. What's your own favourite memories of Ford Trophy finals because you have been around a, a Ford Trophy winning side before? Yeah for sure I've, I've never actually played in a 
the Ford Trophy final. My first season, I was 12th um, for the one where uh, Fultz, the, the current coach, obviously, he um, went bananas and, and scored about 100 off 50 balls in his last game. So that was pretty special, I suppose, getting a, a front row ticket for that. And, um, yeah, that was that was certainly a, a good campaign, that. Um, and obviously it's your first year in Hawke's Bay, first season in Hawke's Bay and playing for Hawke's Bay. What does it mean to you knowing that we can do something for the cyclone relief effort as well? Yeah, it's huge actually. I suppose like it's um, seen the devastation uh, around the Hawke's Bay and I suppose I feel um, personally attached to the to the region now as well, having lived here and um, been living with ticks this year and, and I suppose seeing his his old man's house and, and seeing a lot of other properties and um, a lot of other devastation around the around the area like you, you feel that as though you've been here for multiple years as opposed to just you know the six months that I've been living here so um, and I guess that's probably testament to like the people that you know I've met along the last six months here that they've really welcomed me into the into the environment and into the region so it would be lovely to do something pretty special for for them which is you know for it's been a pretty tough time for the for the region so yeah it's 20 year old Jack Boyle his uh, brother Matt uh, is 27 no uh, respect there at all for your elders you could detect uh Bit of, bit of a character going head to head uh, 11 o'clock today uh, McLean Park and Napier we'll be able to give you score updates for the first hour and then staff you throughout the afternoon 9.32 here on SCN said uh, we, shall we get yeah we will let's just for the heck of it we'll go to the news with Aroha <laughs> Uh, 9.34, I've just been uh, watching out of the corner of my eye some uh, coverage on uh, Fox News Television. This is the American television uh, network of uh, a yet another school shooting, this time by a 28-year-old woman with two assault rifles and a pistol, apparently a former uh, attendee at uh, the school. It's a Woodmont uh, Baptist School uh, just out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, just horrific. Uh, absolutely horrific and um, it's it's bizarre watching these poor kids these little kids um, you know like a, a daisy chain hand in hand being s- surrounded by police as they try to get on buses or try to get out uh, it's just it is an awful 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 scene fortunately um, we don't have to cover that much uh, here on SENZ we cover sport um, and uh, we like to uh, make sure that uh, you don't miss things here so we've got this little segment here called in case you missed it I-C-Y-M-I interviews and moments from uh, around SEN and the SENZ uh, network we realise you can't listen to the radio all day um, so we try to bring you the best bits uh, every now and then that you might have missed including uh, Logan Swinkles including our very own Danny Lee who uh, is now a much richer man than he was even though I think he's quite uh, financially dependent any independent anyway um, but he had uh, an interesting chat, didn't he, with uh, Izzy and Kempe? Yes, this morning. Uh, I believe they recorded it on Friday, just before they went out to their weekend. So starting things off in style. I know there's been a lot of speculation around his contract, and uh, he's been quite tight-lipped around it himself. You know, we've been reporting, a lot of people have been reporting that he's only on a three-tournament deal, and the one coming up in Orlando then would be his last, and so he wouldn't actually be playing in 
Adelaide, but from what I've been gathering, uh, looking further into it, it is he is actually on a multi-year deal. Um, don't know of what his signing bonus is, but it could be two years, it could be three years. So he's definitely on the live tour for a while. And uh, yeah, here's just a little snippet of uh, the of Danny Lee with the Bricky Boys. And if you want to catch the rest of it, make sure you check it out on all your favorite podcast platforms. You need to write, make your own luck, Danny, and you sure did that. Look, it's it's been a, a big couple of years for yourself, obviously making that decision to head to the LIV. Like, what's the difference this week, Danny? How did you get over that mental hump to win this event? And did you really think that you'd you'd never win again? Yeah, I mean. There's a, quite a few times even on the PJ Tour I had a chance to win, but there's only always that one guy who just plays out of his mind, and when that happens, you know, it, you gave your best and just it is what it is. But um, And then I, I was off the track for about a year and a half with the injuries and all that stuff, and um i starting this year i put more effort in my game i spend more time on the out on the golf course instead of working out doing other stuff so um i was more focused and i mean my ball striking was always been there just uh around the greens and putting i was struggling with and then sure enough i found the uh my way of solution to pot and um it's great to see that um, I'm getting very positive results. Oh, I love it. The vibe is what you're seeing from the outside. Look, you know, I haven't been lucky enough to to head to an LIV event right now. So just just add, add a bit more to that. So you're obviously hearing, heading over to Adelaide to the Grange. So you're coming down under. If we're able to head to that event, like, what are some of the things the crowds can expect from a from a spectator's point of view? Me. Playing in Adelaide is very close to New Zealand, which is good, and I'm sure a lot of the New Zealanders going to come over and watch uh, the play. And even the Australian uh, Australians are very supportive when I play out here. So uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of crowd. Um, even I think it was four. Or five months ago, there twenty thousand of them tickets were sold out every day for three days already, and then they're trying to generate more tickets because it's being so popular over there. And I cannot wait to uh, go over there and play in front of the home crowds. I was just going to say top fifty on the Forbes list too. After putting away four million big pingers in your pocket, Danny. Hey, mate, <laughs> do you, do you realise how big? Uh, you are still in New Zealand. Do you still call New Zealand home? And do you love the support that you get from down under? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, there's a Korean side of me, and I've um, always introduced me. Uh, I've on the first tee, they always introduce me as a, a New Zealand and from Rotorua. So, yes, <clears throat> that that fact never changes. Which can you just give uh, an aspiring golfer like myself who thinks he's not bad, but actually down under he terms to hack it? Just a bit of advice if I want to have a, a decent crack at golf, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I know for average uh, amateur golfers, there. For me, uh, golf is all about 
who can repeat the same motion every time. So obviously, the easiest way for you to do that is spend a lot of time on a range or on a golf course, keep practicing that shot over and over again, and teach your body without you kind of think about what you're doing. So if you guys have time to go out there and practice a little bit or play nine holes at least uh, twice or three times a week, um, there will be a, a game changer, I think. Very interesting. Uh, some thoughts here on Danny Lee. Very confident of the big numbers going to live. I, I'm not sure of it. I haven't heard anyone from New Zealand going over to watch it. There's some very big-name golfers that you never get to see, of course, unless you go to a America, or he used to go to America, so I suppose that is the case. 20,000 uh, per day. I find that very uh, very interesting. That would be much bigger crowds than they're getting um, in uh, America. Much, much bigger crowds. Uh, right, okay, we'll uh, keep an eye on that. It's not too far away, the Grange in Adelaide. We'll talk to Nick Ahern about it, actually, after 11 o'clock. Uh, Bluey McLennan on uh, SENZ Afternoons. This is what Bluey had to say. I wanted to talk to you about Sean Johnson. Like, I think everyone's delighted about how well he's going, and I'm pleased you pointed out his defence because he made some telling tackles, some brave tackles. Um, his yeah. mindset seems to have changed, and we're, we're, we've been trying to figure out what's enabled him to do that. Is it the players around him? Is it Tamari Martin is giving him options? Wade Egan, admittedly not yesterday, but gives him options to, to free himself up, not to be the sole fulcrum on fifth tackle, fourth tackle. We need a break. We go to Sean. There's more. There's more cowboys in our lineup now that that can swing the lasso and fire the gun. But one hundred percent. You know, I think you've just you know pretty much answered the question there. Really, Sappy. <laughs> it's a bit of everything. It, you know, it really is, and and it always is. Um, you know, there's always little contributing factors, and and when your teammates are, are you know are switched on and they're just so connected, it, it's like it, it freed up Sean like that. There's been times over the years, the last couple of few years, where, you know, I'd be watching Sean, and and I'm a great admirer of Sean's. You know, he's a wonderful, wonderful athlete, and he's a great human being. You know, and um, I, I, you know, it felt like he he had the world on his shoulders, and he was trying to organise too much. Mm. Um, but it, it feels like that the team are a lot more connected, a lot more switched on, and they all know their roles, and it's freeing him up um, to get those little personal things done really well. And it's so good to see. And, uh, Jesus, uh, when he when he's switched on and he gets going, uh, he, he's, he's a terrific athlete. Yeah, very interesting. I love hearing from uh, Bluey McLennan. Actually, we should get him on. Uh, a lot more ourselves because um, his passion for league has never, ever died. Wyatt Crockett, uh, the record-breaking super rugby player for the Crusaders. On the rugby run with his former teammate, Justin Marshall. A meeting of the minds, this. I don't think it's any secret that the, the All Blacks and Ian Foster in particular have looked at the rest of the world and the way that the props are now playing the game and how mobile they are and how many involvements they have. Um, you know, from what, what you've seen uh, in terms of what we've already got uh, and yeah. what's coming through, uh, who's sort of been impressing you out there? And do you think that we are able to make that adaption to get more involvement and more mobile with the props that we've got coming through? 
Yeah, oh, mate, we've got some... Like, and you have to just look firstly at the Crusaders and their young props, obviously, with Fletcher Newell out injured at the moment, but he was outstanding last year, um, coming off the bench to the All Blacks and really added um, some good go forward in that midfield. And, um, you know, it is... You, you know, you're so right. They do actually now form up, which is quite bizarre, but they form quite a um, critical part of a team attack. Um, yeah. Having a ball carrier a ball-carrying prop that can actually really give you some good punch and go forward, not dissimilar to like a league front rower, um, you know, so giving you that real good go forward and that fast ball so that then the, you know, guys out wide can, can play off that. So if, obviously Fletcher Newell and Tamati Williams looks, um, to me, looks like uh, a player that we'll see um, wearing that black jersey in the near future. Um, and... Yeah, what he's doing from a ball carrying perspective is, is very impressive. And, and as I say again, not unlike a league front row where they providing that good punch, um, that late footwork and, and getting that quick ball. So it's, I think we're in really good stock there, particularly from, a, again, a Crusaders point of view. But there are some others around the, around the country that are doing a great job there too. Mm, absolutely. Uh, nice to hear from White Crockett. It's been a while, actually. Uh, and just finally, uh, let's uh, head across the Tasman, shall we? Uh, Matt Burke, love Matt Burke's company, what a character he is, and what a footballer he was too, uh, on Eddie Jones and his toughest challenge with the Wallabies that he believes. Yeah, so that's the interesting debate, isn't it? When he came across and, you know, the, the, he, he did a press conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now, it was a 45-minute press conference. He went back to his old school at uh, at Matraville High, and, and, and that's where the Ellis uh, grew up as well. And, and it was a 45-minute uh, press conference, and, and and all I wanted to do was put my boots on again, you know, and, and play. <laughs> he, he was just saying the right things to get Australian rugby behind, uh, or the, the supporters behind Australian rugby again. Um, he he will have that fire and brimstone. Uh, the the biggest thing that he needs to come up with is, you know, they're, they're not getting a whole bunch of new players. It's the same players. How is he going to turn those players into better players, uh, smarter players, more physical players? And I think that's that's the biggest thing we've we've seen from Australian perspective is that physicality uh, is just off. Uh, I think it highlighted in that South African test in Sydney uh, after they lost in, um, in Adelaide the week before, the box came out and just monstered Australia. So that's the biggest one uh, that we're seeing at the moment. So how is he going to do that? Uh, you know, he, he has his ways. He has his, uh, you know, he'll, he'll spark these guys up mentally uh, as well as physically. He'll, he'll ask them to, you know, obviously lift and push and run uh, to get bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, but it's the mental game um, that I think is, is, is the, one of the biggest things he has. And, and, and look, at the moment, he's, you're right, he's quips in the media at the moment. He's just sort of you know, pushing all the right buttons to rugby league and sort of, you know, sort of encompassing sort of, you know, the, the old support and garnering the old support of sort of 20 years ago and sort of don't get lost to the system. Um, it, it, it will be tough, though. You know, it will be tough. So what uh, two Bledisloes uh, are trying to... Uh, were, uh, uh, rugby championships um, in between that and then a game against France before the World Cup. I mean, that's a that's a fair resume that you need to tick off. And, and you know, looking at sort of the stats of where they are and where Australia sit at the moment, you know, in, invariably it could be 0-5, it could be 1-5. Good man, Matt Burke. Uh, why they don't use him more often on uh, Television Australia, I do not know. It is uh, 9.48 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll be back shortly with... News of a multi. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Okay, uh, yesterday we got another one up, thank goodness, uh, including this morning where Hungary did beat Bulgaria 3-0, so uh, that was a goodie, the Tactics one and the Grizzlies one. Uh, today we're going to mix it up again, so Denver, uh, the Nuggets to beat the 76ers at a buck 44. Um, and uh, European qualifiers, uh, Switzerland to beat Israel, a dollar 33. Uh, the Black Caps, if they play, I think they'll dominate Sri Lanka again down there in Christchurch, but weather is a bit dodgy, a dollar 33. And the Stags to beat uh, Canterbury here at McLean Park for a number of reasons, sentimental reasons, of course. Uh, also the fact I think they're just a better team with uh, Canterbury, a lot of black cap defections. So uh, that's at $1.60. Multi those four up at $4.07. Uh, after 10 o'clock, we shall be talking footy um, as well, uh, but we'll take a break now and uh, hopefully come back with uh, something else before then. Uh, but massively supported by the staff and the players um, and, it, and it's been a great week, you know. We've we've had we've had a great week. Yeah. Yeah. Could you do Germ again? Because um, under twenty World Cup right before that, is there a possibility? Would you like to have that shot to yeah. come against Ivan Hamovich? I applied for the role. I interviewed for the role, um, and I'm still in the mix for the role. Um, and now it will go to whoever to make some decisions of what happens next. But is that scheduling possible for that one person to do both things? We, we can make anything possible. <laughs> well, that was uh, All White's interim coach, Darren Baisley, following the 2-1 win over China in Wellington last Sunday. Uh, New Zealand's goal-scoring drought is officially over, and judging by the smile on his face during the post-match press conference, the caretaker coach is stoked with the results. And why shouldn't he be? China are 80th in the world. New Zealand, uh, at this stage, we are ranked uh, 105th. So uh, on that, it's a pretty good uh, result. Um, so now that we've established that he can produce goals and uh, a winning side, uh, does that put an end to the coaching saga? Is it all wrapped up? To talk about that now is uh, former international Fred De Jong, 21 appearances for the All Whites. You see Fred uh, too on the Sky Sports Kiwi football fix. Uh, and Fred, of course, is uh, well known as being Otola Honga's most famous product. Good morning to you, Fred. Yeah, morning, mate. How you going? Oh, I'm really good. Okay, you just might have heard a, a wee bit of uh, Darren Baisley there uh, talking about his love for the players and putting his hand up for the All Whites. Where do you sit with us now in terms of uh, permanent position? I think it, it, for me it comes down to uh, New Zealand football looking for uh, fresh ideas and a new direction. Um, so if they are, then I think the the, suit, the the net would probably be cast wider and then Darren Baisley would would uh, be up against you know some some other people, um, and it's a bit of, I mean it draws parallels probably to the All Black uh, coaching um, saga which we've sort of gone through um, recent times. You know where you've got um, Scott Robertson with you know, all the fresh ideas, um, Ian Foster, you know sort of uh, the continuity option. Um, and I think New Zealand football are probably in a similar sort of position. You know, Darren Baisley's been there for the last two cycles, um, and you know we, you know, the the critics would say we haven't made the World Cup in those two cycles. Um, the the other the the people in favour would say, you know, he's been around, he knows the players, um, continuity is a good thing. So I think it probably in the end it just falls. Where does New Zealand football sit in this? Do they want the safe option? Or would they like something a bit fresher and a bit more probably, um, yeah, some fresh ideas coming into the mix? 
course, Fred, that, that means suggesting someone perhaps coming from, from uh, overseas, uh, a slightly more high-profile coach from overseas with more international experience. But then, of course, that comes down to money, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, that's true. And it's an expensive business. We've seen that with the, the John Herdman example uh, with, with the All Whites. You know, he was you know, supposedly the preferred candidate. Um, he's on you know, 700000 a year Canadian. So that's not that's not jump change, um, and you know I know that uh, you know Anthony Hudson was on around the 200 250 mark by the time he left. So you know there's a big there's a big gap there, um, and so some of these international coaches uh, are on big money. But having said that, the New Zealand job is a hugely attractive job for an international coach because we will we will play uh, a decent amount of games over the next cycle. We will, we're pretty much one of the only teams guaranteed to go to the World Cup um, now, given the, the format. Um, so, you know, it's a massively um, attractive proposition for a coach who wants to get to a World Cup and push forward his, um, his coaching credentials. So I think, um, yeah, the, the opportunity uh, for someone to come in and, and do that is very high, and I think you'd get some pretty good applicants. And they did have some pretty good applicants for the role. Right, China is ranked 25 places ahead of us, uh, according to the uh, latest rankings from FIFA. Uh, so, is it fair to say the All Whites um, played, I won't say out of their skins, but played above themselves on recent performances for those results? Uh, I, I, I don't take much stock of the FIFA rankings. Um, I think um, because the, 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 the negative with the FIFA rankings is they go back so long, they go back eight years. Um, and so if you've had a good run uh, a number of years ago, then though that sort of doesn't have as much credit, but it, it just it, it, there's a big tail in the, in the FIFA rankings. A more accurate um, ranking system is the ELO ranking. It's like a chess ranking system where you get points for the opposition you play now. So, um, and a good example of that is who's the best, who's the highest ranked team in the world? According to FIFA, it's Brazil. According to ELO, it's Argentina. Well, Argentina won the World Cup recently, so I would go with that. If you look at the ELO rankings, New Zealand's 75, China 86. So I would have, you know, you look at that and you go, this was a, should have been a close-fought contest, and it was, um, and probably New Zealand should have edged it, and they did. So I think that's a pretty accurate um, synopsis of how the games went. Um, I think um, I was disappointed in China. I thought they were very negative, negative coach, um, came here, just wanted to defend and hit us on the counter-attack. Um, and New Zealand, so they ceded New Zealand a whole lot of possession. And we're good at that. We're good at holding the ball. We've got a good young team who knows how to hold the ball. And so that bodes well for the future. I think um, it's just at the pointy end of the field, we're a little bit short. And, and that really showed. Well, it's a little bit short uh, to the point where the goal drought was broken <laughs> with, a, with an own goal. <laughs> I think that's fair enough to say. A little bit short's good uh, because we need targets up front and without Chris Wood, who is a genuinely tall target, um, there doesn't appear to be a lot in the offing, Fred, and this is your area of expertise, of course, in terms of when you played. A target up front and then a, a result at the end of it. Where... Where are we going to find this more consistently? Yeah, I mean, we've got to find, you know, we've, we've got half the equation. We can hold the ball and we can move the ball 
up the field um, comfortably. And, and historically, we haven't even been able to, we haven't been able to do that. So um, we're in a much better space in that regard. We've got good midfielders. We've got a bunch of players playing in good leagues around the world. Um, I, ideally, they'd be playing a little bit more, but you know they're in good environments. So so that's really good. Um, so I think the, the the trick now is to find different ways of scoring goals. Um, and I think there, there's probably a little bit too much of a reliance on get it wide, sling it in and Chris Wood will get on the end of it. Um, and, and so I think with the creativity and the players that we have and uh, are probably going to be around for this cycle, I think um, just working out ways to get in behind opposition defences um, is, is, is a key part of, um, of what the coach needs to develop. Um, and, and yeah, and just holding and really creating sustained pressure on the opposition goal, um, I think is another is another element that we need to bring to bear in, into um, into our play. Um, we can't be a one-dimensional team because we've seen in the past Chris Wood is injured. You know he missed the he was injured here. He uh, he was injured against uh, where was it? Who was it? Mexico? Um, mm. Mexico? No, Peru. He was injured in the Peru games. So as soon as you take him out, if he's your he's your number one weapon, then you're struggling. So we just have to come up with different ways of scoring goals and use, use the, uh, the firepower that we have got in the team to, uh, to somehow create those goals. Just uh, thinking about a strategy there, because if you look at the, the All-Whites and the, 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 the lack of goals that we score against quality opposition, we're only ever really going to, if we do win a match, we're only going to win it by one goal. Um, so... Do we are we true? Are we trying to create too many chances uh, up front in a weird sort of a way? Are, are we trying to do too much uh, in the search for those goals, or should we just realise the fact that everything that we win is going to be very tight and just wait? No, I think I think um, I think you the the approach is um, you, you take a different approach into the different games. I think say a team like China, we should just throttle them to death. You know, they should not, like, and, and pretty much we, we sort of did that until Tommy Smith got sent off in the first game. Second game, you know, we held 60-something percent possession. We'll make that 80%, you know, 70, 80%. Just kill the game off for them, you know, and so they don't get, even get a look in because, I mean, it was disappointing they scored a goal at the end. You know? um, so, you know, I think for teams that are ranked the same as us or, or um, below us, then I think, yeah, we, they don't, we just have to completely dominate the ball um, and, and don't let them um, get any piece of it. For teams that are better than us, I think we have to work out a way to, to transition the game much better. And, and so, <clears throat> to your point, yes, we have to defend as block and then we have to flood forward with numbers. And I think that's the second bit that we, we don't really do. We, we throw two or three players up there and go, see what you can do. Um, but, you know, maybe if you look at, you know, a good example would be the Liverpool side under Klopp, early day, mm. the early days of his tenure. You know, boy, you get four or five players in the box just streaming forward on a quick counter-attack. And so maybe that's the sort of... And, and I think this winds all the way back to the coaching um, decision. Is this the sort of thinking that New Zealand football are after? You know, exciting, dynamic... Um, a change in approach, 
or are they happy with the status quo as it is now? Um, because, you know, under, under, under Darren, it's a similar players, similar coaching staff. Um, so how can you expect anything other than a similar result? And so, and that's not a negative to Darren because, you know, it's, he is, I think he is a very safe pair of hands. Um, it's just, what, what are you looking for in the national team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, okay, can we just chop it back a, a level to the A-League, uh, Fred, which, uh, of course, you keep a, a close eye on as well. First of all, before we talk about the possibility of this uh, new Auckland club, this Auckland franchise, the Phoenix, uh, how are you rating them at the moment? Oh, the, the men are very good, the women are very poor. Um, so I think, um, yeah, the, 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 the men, I think, have a good opportunity to finish top three, uh, top four, and, you know, they just need to hold it together. Um, I think the, the fact that a bunch of their players are going to leave at the end of the season is a bit of uh, um, unsettling, and I think you've seen that in the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, I think they have a good shout at getting um, top four. Ideally, you make top two because then you get a rest and you're, you're one win away from uh, the final, just under the playoff system, the, the typical Aussie playoff system. Um, so, yeah, I think um, they've, they've had a very good season on the back of one of the best imports they've ever had in Oscar Zavada. I think he's you know, scored 12 goals so far. Um, mm. Very, very good. Very good player. Um, good, great finisher, good in the air, strong. Um, and, you know, hats off to Ufuk Tale for, for finding another diamond. Right, let's uh, look at, um, at the, the Southern proposed um, franchise uh, based out of Auckland uh, and uh, sooner rather than later, actually. So it's uh, going to take a, yep. a, a quite, a, <laughs> quite a rate of progress to get it going. Um, are you confident about it? We have the scope for it? Come on, Smithy. <laughs> Dip your hand in your pocket, mate. It's only $20 million. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. i tell you what. We'll, we'll, I'll tell you what. We'll both give up our salaries and they'll still be about $19.5 million, <laughs> 6 million short. So, free, free uh, money, mate, eh? You're Money's a hell of a lot more than I am, then. <laughs> money. That includes the pension, just by the by. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> you leaked that one out, didn't you, mate? <laughs> no, it's not. Hey, look, it's, it's, it's pension. No, it's it pension. Is, it's it is lucrative. <laughs> it'll be the money, mate. It'll, it'll, it'll come down to the money. But it's a very, I, oh, for me, it's a hugely exciting um, proposition. Um, I think the way the, the APL, which is the, um, the players' league, who, the, the, the clubs that run the A-League, um, the way they've proposed this is um, is really interesting, and in, in the fact that they haven't gone to a single club like Auckland City, which would be the most logical, or you know one of the other clubs in the region, and gone here you go, here's an opportunity for you to step up in, from National League into A League. They haven't done that. They've said Auckland, here's an opportunity to have a franchise. What can you do? Um, so. Um, you know, so it's for they, they don't want to um, brand it a single club, um, in, because they don't they've had problems with that in Australia where that alienates the other clubs in that region, and so you know, interesting concept uh, way of doing it. Um, hopefully, they 
um, the, there's enough money that comes forward to, to make it, uh, to get it off the ground. Um, as you say, the time frames are very short. They're talking about having it up and running um, by the end of next, next season, so um, probably August, September next year. Um, and I think for, New Zealand, for football in New Zealand, it's a massive opportunity because I think at the moment there's a, there's a huge pull to Wellington for players um, if they want to advance their professional career. And I think having an Auckland option and internal competition in football in New Zealand um, would drive both clubs. You know, would drive the Phoenix to to uh, to do better, um, and would also there would be a massive incentive for the Auckland-based franchise uh, to really show what they can do. So yeah, I was really really hopeful that um, people find the money and collaborate to put forward a really strong Auckland franchise. But I think the key ingredient in all of it is that whatever happens, they have to win. And they have to win early because there's, uh, people still remember the Kings, the Knights, and how that fell apart at the end. And I think you've got to sort of expunge those, those thoughts really quickly by winning and doing, being, um, being successful quickly with the franchise. Fred De Jong, you took a lot of penalties uh, over your playing career. Here's an interesting <laughs> one for you. <laughs> International Football Association Board are bringing in rule changes from July 1 to prevent goalkeepers from taunting. That includes not touching the goalpost of the net, not delaying the execution, and not unfairly distracting the kicker, and no disrespectful behaviour. So is this the end of Andrew Redmayne's career? No, not at all. I I think think he'll be safe. He may have to tone it down slightly because he... Because boy, he's about six foot eight. He just he just had, he touches the bar like with his head almost. It's like, um, but I, mean, I I read those rules yesterday, and um, the only one that's non-subjective is you can't touch the post, the bar, or the net. Everything else in that is completely subjective, and I think um, it'll be interesting to see how they police that. Uh, and where the line sort of gets drawn. I mean, this is, you may as well call this the Martinez rule from the World Cup um, because, you know, some of the antics that the Argentinian goalkeeper got up to um, in the penalty shootouts, uh, of which he won a few, especially against the Dutch, um, he um, was, you know, was, was over the, uh, stepped over the line. And I think uh, this has been brought in to, to stop that. Um, but it also, it's like, what's the problem here? You know, I mean, 90% of the advantage sits with the penalty taker. So anything that the keeper can do um, probably just writes the balance slightly. And is this really a massive issue? I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it as being something that FIFA need to overly police. I just, I just think it's... Um, what, it, what, you're going to make the guy stand still? You know, it's just like, mm. give, <laughs> it, takes, it takes, just takes an ele- another element of sort of entertainment out of the game. And I think that's, um, sure that's does. sad. I, I you think know? you're doing, I think, I, I think you're right. I mean, they've got to stay behind the line. I mean, what, I mean, you're just really saying, have the goal and let's move on. Uh, look, uh, Fred, <laughs> yeah. it's been great to talk to you. 
Fred, uh, hey, it's been great to talk to you. Um, but uh, you know you're going to have a great day because the Netherlands uh, knocked over Gibraltar this morning 3 0, <laughs> and that's a good result for you. I've <laughs> had Marty Devlin texting me, mate, saying, Oh, Gibraltar, don't get nervous. This is after this. This is after Holland capitulated 4 0 to France the other day. I thought, Oh, France, Holland. Netherlands, that'll be a good game. That'll be tight. Yeah, it's 3 0 after 25 minutes. It was like. What the hell? What am I watching here? Guys, you got to defend. <laughs> so Gibraltar, look, you take what you can get. You take what you can get, mate. <laughs> Fred, been a lot of fun. A, a lot of fun. And uh, that, that, that little mathematical equation, I made, it wasn't my salary I was highlighting, it was the fact that I made a mathematical, a mathematical cock up in terms of my calculations, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I took a zero off it... mine, mate. So that's all right. You're all you're in the clear, mate. I took a zero off mine. Oh, good on you. Good, good on you. Uh, great to chat, mate. Thank you very much. Excellent. A lot of fun. Excellent, mate. Cheers, man. Yeah, cheers. Ten twenty-three here. Oh, there's the NZ. Need a break after that. <laughs> Based on uh, Phil Gould's comments on uh, Australian television last night, where he basically said to uh, Joseph uh, Su'ali'i, get the hell out of here, you've made your decision, we don't want you anymore. Uh, we've had a bit of reaction actually, uh, Sam has come in and said, uh, morning Smithy, Phil Gould should uh, pull his head in, it's uh, likely that Su'ali'i could forge a career like Sonny Bill and will someday be back in the NRL and be a marquee player. Why would you want to go back though with people like Phil Gould making comments like that? Gould forgets that he came from a rugby background. I bet he didn't complain when he turned his uh, back on rugby and decided to play league. Suali'i has done nothing wrong. He is seeing out his contract with the Roosters and will only leave after that. It's done. I bet uh, one day down the track the Roosters will welcome him back. He won't be playing for the Dogs now, that's for sure. Right, OK, uh, Kevin has come in uh, on the same issue. Hi, Smithy. Uh, Phil Gould, he's always moaning when things don't go his way. The player is good enough to get... Uh, multi-billion dollar big contract and good on him uh, you only get a very small chance as in years to make it injury or age catch up so take your chance uh, take your money sour grapes Phil you weren't quick enough uh, that's uh, from Kevin from uh, Tittering he's also sent us in a text on a cricketing note as well and we'll read that out a, a little bit later uh, that Ford Trophy due to begin on a fine day here in Hawke's Bay although it's clouded over a wee bit um, in about uh, 30 minutes time we'll have updates on that uh, throughout uh, that match uh, here on SENZ it is uh, 10.30 and today that means it's time for you to get on the phone at this time 0800 0800-150811. 0800-150811. We're having uh, an earlier stump smithy being a Tuesday. We've got uh, some agricultural issues to deal with at 11.30. Um, so uh, we need your calls now. So uh, light up the lines. Let's have some fun and see if you can go home with 100 bucks uh, to uh, top your Tuesday. Uh, it's time also for Araha with the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's 10.33 here on SCNZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Time to play Stumped a little bit earlier, as we do now on Tuesdays, Smithy. And we're going for $100. That's what we're playing for, TAB. Bonus bet. Can we get it up to 150 It would be nice to think so. Uh, it'll depend on the calibre of uh, the contestants, of course, and uh, just what subjects you uh, present them with uh, this morning. 
But uh, feeling quite confident, actually, um, on the, the back of yesterday. So what have we got lined up? Who have we got lined up? And what are we, um, what are we discussing today in terms of our questions? Well, I'm just very quickly vetting the questions now provided by uh, producer Brian. There are stat questions, but they're not nerdy stat questions, if I'll put it that way for you. Um, first at the crease, oh, mate, great friend of the show from Tolaga Bay, Ed, how you doing, bro? Hey, how's it, Logan? Good, man. I know uh, last week when I was on with Staffy, played a certain uh, clip from Heartland Rugby that I'm pretty sure you enjoyed. Yeah, man. Well, this is still going to be the final. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh, you ready to play, you ready to play for a hundred, mate? Oh, let's go, man. Right. Smitty's been on a roll, man. Yeah. 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 Got couple of multis up as well it's um it's a golden period in terms of uh show competitions and so- show multis so we'll just see if it continues against your genius brain ed what are the subjects today all right the topics to choose from today ed are soccer football basketball and cricket take your pick oh i got you on basketball last time smitty let's go basketball Okay, let's do it. All right, good luck. Oh, my God, come on. Gotta love a sticky bottom bar. First question for you, Ed. Basketball is the category. Who leads the NBA this season for three-pointers made? Oh, I'm going to say Steph Curry, but I don't know. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Clay Thompson then. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot and the way it goes. Oh yeah. Cool as you like. Cool as you like. Sorry Ed. Yep. Back to the crease for you mate. Stumped on the first delivery there. Nice little golden duck for you. Uh, yeah, Clay Thompson. 273. Same team. Nice work Smithy. Splash Brothers. The Splash Brothers. So it had to be one or the other didn't it? Although they lost yesterday that really irked me because I did have a little wager on them yesterday and they lost. They just had a poor fourth quarter and absolutely blew it against some Timberwolves, the cat. The cat and the Timberwolves got them. I just don't get that on you. There's no pride in basketball. That's the problem. <laughs> they keep coming and going. And the thing is, they'll go back to the dressing room and say, oh, no, really. Have a shower. Go and spend a million bucks somewhere at <laughs> a casino or something. And hey, we, hey, look, we've got another game tomorrow. We've got another night game tomorrow. And all those suckers that buy all their shirts and worship them till the cows come home. They, honestly, they got no feeling. They, they just give it away. Give it away. Yeah. Uh, it might well be my pocket talking, by the way. That just might be. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. Next to the crease, bit of a winner. Matt from Blenheim coming, mate. Hey, Gav. Yeah, I'm good. How are you with your basketball? I was hoping Ed might carry me for a couple of questions there because it's probably not my strong suit. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how you go. Uh, second question here, a little bit closer to home. Star Breakers import Jamal Brantley is set to extend his stay in New Zealand after most recently being with the Utah Jazz uh, and signed on to play in the Sal's NBL. What team will Jamal play for this season? Oh, God. Um... I really don't know, so it's going to be a stab in the dark. I'll go the Saints. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. 
I don't think it's Tatuatara because we talked about that with Aaron Young the other day and his name didn't come up there. I'm not sure Hutchie's brought him down there for the Otago Nuggets. I'd like to think that he might have. But I'm going to go for my own, Bay Hawks. I've got no idea, Bay Hawks. One of the worst things I have ever seen Saints? done on a cricket field. Saints is what Matt uh, gets the Wellington Saints. When you said Auckland to Otara, I thought you were going to do one of your uh, run-ups and say, oh, just go a bit further down the motorway because the answer I was looking for was the Franklin Bulls. Oh, right. Okay, Franklin Bulls. Fair enough. So, Mika Vakona uh, is making some moves there, looking for, trying to get him on the show, actually. So, be good to get him on this week. Uh, so, you are still alive, Matt. The $100 TAB bonus bet up for play here. Last question. Who leads the NBA's Western Conference? Um, is it the Nuggets? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yes, beautifully done. Denver Nuggets for the 100, Smithy. Denver Nuggets, okay, fair enough. Matt, who knows how to win on the show, uh, has done it again. And uh, another $100 uh, heading down south. So, uh, well done, Matt. Have a terrific day, man. Cheers, Smithy. I might have to follow one of your multis for that handy. Yeah, I'm pretty happy about today's one, although they tell me at Christchurch the cricket might not happen, so beware for a Duckworth-Lewis game there, and then the rules will change, um, because uh, I'm, I'm talking, I took that pick on the basis that it would be a 50-over game, but hearing through the grapevine that it will not go that duration, if at all, so... Um, maybe pre- you might be prepared to leave that one out as a dangerous one. Um, but Matt, have a, have a terrific day anyway. All the best. Yeah, same to you, Smitty. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Matt there from uh, Blenheim, uh, who's been uh, a big winner on the, the station before. Uh, fantastic for him. 10.40, uh, we'll uh, be back at our normal time, hopefully tomorrow, 11.30, with uh, Stump Smitty back to 50 bucks. Uh, didn't get a look in at the end. Um, and uh, we shall uh, be coming up very shortly. Uh, we're going to be talking, of course, to uh, Nick Ahern after 11 o'clock. Uh, golf, a very big subject at the moment. The Masters just around the corner. The match play just finished. Live golf uh, hitting um, Adelaide. And he might be able to confirm uh, Danny Lee's message there that they're selling upwards of 20,000 tickets a day and looking for uh, space for more tickets. That would be uh, quite incredible uh, if that is true. 10.40. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> 10.45, time to catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt and uh, still a very big focus uh, across the Tasman with uh, the news uh, of Penny Wecker. Very exciting for the uh, Oaks coming up on April the 8th. That's right, Smithy. So Prowess, Roger James and Robert Wellwood are deciding that yeah, they're sticking to their plan and good on them for sticking to their convictions. They're not going to go to the Oaks with Prowess. But that leaves an opportunity for, well, our... Oaks, our own Oaks winner back from a couple of weeks ago, Pennywecker, who won in such good fashion that day. How's this for a boost? She gets Damien Oliver on her, uh, sorry, Damien Lane, I should say, on her smithy in the Oaks. So that's a, a massive boost to her chances. And 
She's second favourite, $4.50 behind Pavitra, who ran behind Prowess in the weekend. $4.50. Huge respect. And Polygon, Cambridge stud filly, she hit the line really hard over the 2,000 metres, suggesting she's going to absolutely love 2,400. And I've always said that this preparation, I've been a massive Polygon fan for a long time. She was going to be an Oaks filly. I just thought she'd be winning our Oaks, not the Australian Oaks, but mm. she's the third favourite at six bucks there. So two Kiwi fillies right in the Oaks market. This weekend we're going to win their derby with Sharp and Smart. So add that up to the tally. And then if, imagine if we knock off the Oaks as well. That would be, I think, to my count, five separate New Zealand horses to win Group 1s in Australia. Legato, Imperatriz, uh, Prowess. Oh, there's a couple more. Pinarello from earlier in the year. Mm. Uh, I'm forgetting yep. one. So there you go. We've been going really good, Smithy. Well, I, what I like about the, the Penny Wicker story too um, is this is uh, Jim Wallace trained, of course, 76-year-old Jim Wallace. This is, To me, this is one of the very nice little stories about racing. A, a veteran trainer who could all of a sudden, this late in his career, produce something very special. Yeah, it's such a good point, Smithy. He's been an incredible horseman for a very long period of time, but... He's found a, a filly that's out the gate. She's out of the box, and she's really good. And the other thing is the syndicate involved is huge. The um, the syndicate here, I saw them all at Oaks Day in their green dressed up. There was hundreds of them. And, and, and that's the beautiful thing about syndication. You know, you get, to sh- you get to share the experience or share the thrillers love racing.nz says with a big group of people. It's a, a, a you know, micro of the cost, and I know you're involved in the syndicate as well, Smithy, with your two-year-old at the moment and it just you still feel exactly like you're involved and you are the owner because you are but you know it's a more achievable way and what about your two-year-old actually stretching out wide on the track were you nervous or you, you thought he had it covered a little bit nervous um you know you know your horse wins every race anyway but you just look for its development um uh yeah you know, i think uh, what do they say um the first re- reaction after the race was uh, we're talking about kukulin here uh was that um, just crying out for more ground. I don't see that in a horse the way trained eyes see it as that. I see it striving to get to the line in this particular race. Um, it, you know, I think it raced a little bit keenly. I'm not quite sure whether it totally enjoyed the track. Look, I, I'm not sure. But all you know, going forward from a syndicate point of view, news pretty good. Yeah, I think so, Smithy. I think he'll keep. I think you'll probably get a. Another win out of him this preparation, and, and he'll definitely keep us a three-year-old for sure. And I should just mention these other two-year-olds in New Zealand, the Manawatu size produce steaks. Well, Torbury mm. and is the ninety favourite. And I've got some nice futures tickets sitting on Torbury and at a much bigger price than that, but I'm a little bit worried of two fillies. One, Tulsi, the autumn sun, John O'Benner and Holly Wynyard down there in Otaki, and then Low Flying, your old mate, JB, the pair of the JBs, but John Barry, low-flying, she was a very, very expensive yearling from memory, and she chased home Zorian very strong last start. So can you just get some mail for us about how well she's going and whether I need to cover my bets? Oh, yeah, I, I well, I mean, he is the greatest trainer in the world after one beer. I can promise you that. It, perhaps the, the greatest <laughs> group one... Tr- he is right up there with Tommy Smith and Bart Cummins. Um, and he is honestly, in Australasian terms, just after one beer, um, you know, he equates uh, a Group 1 win to 20 test centuries. He reckons that's how hard it is. 
Uh, so there you go, Louis. That's what you're dealing with. If you try to talk to the guy. <laughs> anyway, you have you have a terrific day, mate. A terrific day, and uh, we'll catch up with you again uh, tomorrow on breakfast. That's Louis Herman. What we'll be back with a very very fine Hawks Bay product, and Brendan Popper will very shortly. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, 10.56 here on our SCNZ, um, and uh, BP, it's not BP today, so uh, I was uh, wrong in assuming it would be him. Uh, it usually comes to us on a Tuesday, but uh, I think it's Thad, Thad Taylor. We've gone uh, to the boss, is that right, Logan? Is, is Thad with us? No, you're not quite yeah, available uh, to us yet. Sports betting options today, we've always uh, already talked about uh, my multi with uh, Denver. Uh, to beat the 76ers, uh, Switzerland to beat uh, Israel, Black Caps to beat Sri Lanka, Stags to beat uh, Canterbury. Stags game, Blue Skies back um, uh, forecast. Um, it, uh, it says uh, it says that's not good down there. So uh, we'll have to wait. Actually, I'll tell you who we'll go. Then we'll go to Paul Moati. If in doubt, just go to Paul. Um, so Paul Moati from the TAB. Um, you would have some cricket betting on. There's a couple of big games on today, Paul, but there's some doubt over the one in Christchurch. Yeah, it looks like the weather's just not playing uh, playing the game for us. Uh, and I spoke with Izzy this morning, and uh, he didn't think there'd be uh, much play, uh, if any at all. But at the moment, the Black Caps are still favourites. They're $1.37. Sri Lanka are 285 to win the second one-day international between the two, if we do indeed get a wee bit of play. Uh, and you also mentioned um, the local uh, cricketers as well, and I can tell you, uh, there's a lot of support for the Central Stags. Uh, they're a dollar sixty up against Canterbury, who are two dollars and twenty cents. Most of the action on the Stags at the moment at a dollar sixty, and we've got a promotion this week on the Australian Grand Prix. It's a uh, bonus back promotion. Just place a pre-race race winner bet, and if your driver comes in second, third, fourth. Fifth or sixth will uh, give you a bonus bet up to $50. So plenty of chances there. The current favourite to win the Australian Grand Prix, Max Verstappen, he's $1.36. Um, no surprises. He's seen a bit of cash go his way. Sergio Perez is at $5. Fernando Alonso uh, at seven fifty, And then we're out to double digits after that. So a bonus back promotion on the Australian Grand Prix this weekend. I think that starts Sunday at around 5pm. Thanks very much, uh, Paul Moati there from the, the TAB. Paul thinks uh, stepping in at the last second there for us, as always available. Uh, yes, um, Logan, uh, I'm not big noting here, but I was in an Uber um, in Melbourne uh, during my last commentary stint over there, and I went round Albert Park, and that's, of course, where the Formula One uh, racetrack is, and the Uber driver was very quick to point out the route and all that sort of thing. Some of those... Roadways are just a little bit skinny for my um, for my way of thinking at that those kind of speeds. I'm trying to imagine it actually, but um, what an impressive setup around uh, the lake there! It's just uh, really great spectator course as well. So Melbourne will be lighting up. I mean, of course uh, they'll be heavily into their work already, all the pit crews and the testing and that sort of thing. But as it gets closer to the weekend, Melbourne again the place to be. Yeah, and it's not just Formula 1 as well because uh, Supercar shares that weekend uh, at the same venue. So they did that last year as well. Really interesting to see how that goes with the Gen 3 cars. Looking forward to it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Looking forward to talking uh, with Nick Ahern. We've had Nick on the show before, of course. Uh, very accomplished professional golfer in his own right with a very special record to his name. Highly qualified to talk about match play golf, and that's what we're going to do. The uh, World Match Play just finishing. But we're also going to look at um, the, the Masters coming up now that we're just around the corner from that. And we're also just around the corner from Live Golf making a big debut in Adelaide. And is it going to be as big as what people are saying? We shall see very shortly. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's 11.03 here in New Zealand, and I'm very pleased to say uh, we've got Nick O'Hearn coming into the show again. Of course, uh, Nick has a fantastic career as a professional golfer in his own right, um, and uh, very well qualified to talk about the subjects we're uh, about to do, because uh, he is a, a, a very fine match player, the only player in history to have beaten Tiger Woods twice in match play golf. That is outstanding in itself. Uh, but uh, he also uh, knows what it's like to uh, be formidable at match play as opposed uh, to stroke play, which is also successful in as well. So, uh, so much coming up and so much just been that we thought uh, we'd get Nick uh, on the phone and he's been good enough to join us again, Nick. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks, uh, thanks for being on the show again. Uh, morning, Smithy. Always great to chat. Look, uh, I was fascinated by uh, the, the match play because we don't see a lot of it. We see it in the Ryder Cup. We see it every now and then. And it's basically it's all about stroke play. Uh, so tell us a, a wee bit about uh, this match play tournament. Just how damned hard is it to win? We're looking at seven rounds of golf in uh, five days. So physically, much more demanding than normal. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, once you get through... Well, and the thing is, they've, they've had these group stages now. So when I was playing the match play... It was just quite simply top 64 players in the world, 64 plays the first player, 63rd plays the second, and so on and so forth. So if you're lost in the first round, you're out, and if you win, you just keep going. But now they do these round robins, which I kind of understand because they want to keep the big players there. It stops someone like a like a Nick O'Hearn beating Tiger Woods, so then the main draw card's out and you've got <laughs> this uh, left-hander left over. But uh, it stops that sort of thing from happening because it keeps the big stars there for at least three days, which, you know, the sponsors love that style of thing. But there is a lot of golf involved. And then once you get through the group stage, then they go into the round of 16, and then all of a sudden it does become that elimination-style format. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess, what is it, seven, 18 holes, if you go the full distance, the incentive in match play is to finish your matches early, you know, try and get it done seven and six. So you only ended up playing 12 holes and, and you're feeling fresh for your next match, especially when you have to play 36 holes in one day. So, um, you know, that's the beauty of the format. If you go extra holes every time and you go on 20, 21, 22 holes, well, then all of a sudden that turns into over 100 holes of golf uh, well and truly by the end of the week. We head into the last day. Uh, two of the highest, most highest profile golfers going around at the moment, Scott Scheffler playing out of his skin, Rory McIlroy, uh, up against uh, Sam Burns um, and uh, Cam Young, both very accomplished golfers, but certainly you would expect on name and ability, supposedly, uh, it would have been a Scheffler uh, and McElroy final, but they played off the third and fourth. Incredible. Yeah, the consolation final they ended up playing for. I know the sponsors certainly wanted the uh, the Scheffler-McElroy final and number one and two in the world now. So it wasn't quite the dream scenario. And I think, you know, on that final day, 
most of the crowds were following the consolation match rather than the final, that's for sure. And and to be honest, I last thing I think Scheffler and Rory want to do is go out and play a consolation match. I think if you're losing the semi-final, you just call it tied third and let's just keep going. <laughs> Mm, absolutely. Um, Sam Burns uh, dominating in the end. Uh, very good golfer in his own right. Uh, slightly below the top echelon, but not far away from it. And Cam Young, who has had a pretty impressive last 12 months as well, but he seemed to just run out of gas. Yeah, he did. Uh, it was six and five in the final, not the final that the uh, the sponsors and the, and the tournament was hoping for, unfortunately. Sam Burns is good mates with uh, Scotty Scheffler, so that was a uh, a tough match in that regard and they ended up going i think what was it 21 holes in the end or something like yeah. that so uh it was neck and neck the whole way for them but the final i mean cam young he almost won the open championship last year finished runner up to cam smith but you watch him go at the ball and oh my gosh my back gets sore whenever i watch him swing but hopefully he can stay healthy for his career because he's an outstanding young player and sam burns is just really making a name for himself now i mean he played Ryder cup last year and president's cup so uh, he's got a big future ahead of him and American golf, I mean, they're looking the goods right now. Nick, if I, I look at Scott, Scotty Scheffler, number one ranked golfer in the world today, if I looked at him and I, I just say I, I, I wasn't looking at uh, head and shoulders, I didn't know who it was, but I looked uh, when he's swinging, but his knees and below, and where he appears to lose all sorts of balance and rhythm there, but <laughs> it's, a, it's just another illustration that there are many, many ways to play golf. Oh, it certainly is. The... <laughs> The funny thing is, Mark Allen and I, we, we do a podcast here in Australia called Talk Birdie to Me, and uh, one of the things he was talking about the other day, he plays at Kingston Heath, obviously one of the great courses here in Australia, and he said a while back, if I watch Scotty Scheffler swing and you watch his footwork, he wouldn't be on the pennant team in Kingston Heath, you know, because there's so many other better <laughs> golf swings at Kingston Heath. And yet the guy's number one in the world. It is fascinating to watch, but it just goes to show that there is definitely more than one way to swing a golf club and and move your body and it's actually very similar to the swings we saw more in the 80s the lower body leg action of greg norman and mark Kalkovecchia, where the foot was sliding all over the place um but he matches it up beautifully and i just love watching him trying to hit draws because he's a left to right player you know he usually hits a fade but then when he hits, tries to hit the draws which you'll need to do at augusta coming up all of a sudden the upper body just goes into a a spin like you've never seen before. It's just fascinating viewing, and and he's and he's such a lovely guy too. It's great to see him at number one. You want those sorts of um, you know people that are leading the way in the game of golf, rather than I guess the more controversial ones. You could say one of the most uh, fascinating holes on the Austin Country Club is uh, the thirteenth. Uh, it's uh, the drivable par four over water. It's a risk or reward holes. I love that kind of, uh, I love that in golf, actually. Nick, uh, what about you? Are you a fan of risk and reward? Oh, absolutely. My, my favourite holes are always the short par fours, short par fives, or short par threes, to be honest. And I mean, the most, uh, I guess, fascinating par three is, uh, is 17 at Sawgrass in that regard with the water all around, and it's only a wedge. But then you get these short par fours like 10 at Riviera. Um, you mentioned 13 there, Austin Country Club, even 18 there where, Rory McIlroy drove the green in one of his matches to close it out. That was unbelievable. But I love the par fives where you got to stand in the fairway and go, well, I know it's a two-shot hole, but if I do take it on, I could also make six or seven pretty quick. And, you know, 13 at Augusta is the prime example of that. So uh, uh, these 520-yard par, uh, par fours, no, thank you. I just, just give me these shorter holes all day long. Yeah, I just think they're such a great spectacle, and it brings uh, 
every element into the game, and including the crowds uh, and stadium golf, certainly is becoming their thing. One of one, the, the other reasons we needed to really get you on, Nick, is because you've done this. You've played in the Masters, um, and you have driven down Magnolia Lane, um, which uh, is a right for uh, members and players only as such. Tell us a wee bit about the week leading up to the Masters, which the current crop are about to go through. the weekend before in my first Masters just to sort of soak it all in and, and get there before the crowds because come Monday morning, obviously, the, the patrons, as they call them there, they're not galleries or spectators, the patrons come in and they and they flock all over the grounds and it gets a little bit chaotic. So I, the, my first trip there was on the weekend before and I did exactly what you're saying, drove down Magnolia Lane and it's just like, it's like being a kid in a candy store, to be honest, and, and almost deer in headlights at the same time because... My first trip, I went straight to the 10th tee. I didn't take my clubs with me. I just walked the 10th, uh, the uh, the back nine. I just wanted to see what what it was all about because I've watched the event on TV for so many years. And when I got to that 10th tee the first time on the Saturday, there was two guys teeing off and it just happened to be Tiger Woods and Marco Mira. So, so I sort of followed them for a couple of holes. And then uh, my favourite place on that golf course is the 12th green, 13th tee area because you know... Uh, the patrons can't get over that side. The only people that have been over there are, uh, are playing members or people who have played in the tournaments, things like that. So uh, it's a, a very unique place. Look, Augusta, you wouldn't go there, uh, you know, as a tourist to visit the town itself. It's not the nicest town, but once you get inside those gates, everything changes and it's just a, almost a spiritual experience in a way. And, um, you know, the, the golf club, the members, the way they do it, it's just second to none. And and hats off to them. To, you know, even just down to the little things like, um, you know, when you buy a Coke and a sandwich or something like that, they don't charge an arm and a leg. They just charge minimal, minimal amounts. So it's a very affordable experience for everyone Get that's in there. The hardest part is getting a ticket, obviously. <laughs> But uh, if you ever get a chance to go, it's it's one of the most unique tournaments, if, if not the most unique tournament in the world. It's a bucket list, certainly, uh, for me. Uh, I just can't wait to get there at some point. Um, look, the, uh, this year they have made too many changes, I believe, to the course, although they've tried to lengthen 13. You talk about that corner, which is the quiet corner. Uh, so they've pushed that tee back a wee bit to make 13 a little bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah, 50 yards is what I heard, or 40 yards maybe. They had to buy more land up uh, over at Augusta Country Club, which is the next door. Not Augusta, is it? Yeah, I think it is called Augusta Country mm. Club, the golf course next door. But um, they're just trying to make it so that all of a sudden players have more mid-irons and longer clubs as second shots into 13. And that's the issue we've got in the game at the moment. There's all this talk about rolling the ball back and uh, and things like that, which you know, I I think they should bifurcate the rules in that regard, just make one set of rules for pros playing at tour level and then and then uh, the rest of the amateurs, whoever plays, you can use whatever you want. But Augusta typically makes minor tweaks that are very, very hard to see unless you've been there and played there before. I mean, a prime example for me was the 11th hole, which is a long par four, dog leg to the right, second shots with the pond next to the green. And I remember standing on the tee in a practice round one year going, hang on, that tree that's in front of me over there on the left, that used to be behind me, but nothing looks any different. And when I went back into the clubhouse and I spoke to the guys in the locker room, I asked them about it and they said, yeah, yeah, they, they moved the tee back 40 yards. And I said, but it looks exactly the same. He says, yeah, well, what they do here is they excavate the entire hill. They don't just move a tee back. They just get everything dug up and so that it looks exactly the same, but you just don't know unless uh, unless you've been here before. And 
they do little tricks like that every year. They change the greens slightly, making uh, the slopes just a little bit different. So the local caddies have to relearn the greens every year. It's it's very very uh, very tricky on their part, and they love to uh, play uh, play those mind games with the caddies and the members. Well, talk about the members and the committee. They make uh, their minds up who's going to play in the tournament because they do issue invites uh, still the old-fashioned way, which is uh, which is fantastic, Nick. And um, interesting this year, they uh, they could have had a choice as uh, which way they went, but they've decided to bring live golfers back into the fold, former winners, etc. And this will they'll be back together for the first time for quite some time in a pressure environment. How sweet for a live golf member to to win it again! Um, and how determined for conventions to stop that happening. Yeah, there is quite a few of the uh, live golfers who are past Masters champions. I mean, obviously, you've got uh, Dustin Johnson and uh, Sergio Garcia, Bubba Watson, Charles Schwartz. All you, the list goes on, basically. And mm. and I, I completely understand why they are playing, and, and, and it's great to get the best players back in the world. If you win that golf tournament, you should be there. If you're top 50 in the world, which... You know, with the world rankings, that's obviously getting harder and harder for the live players now since they aren't being awarded ranking points. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to be interested to see what their games are like because I've taken notice of the last couple of live events and the Cam Smiths, Dustin Johnsons, they haven't been in very good form. Um, now, whether that's a lack of playing or practice or, or what, or just competitive reps, the, the issue they've got is this week, I think there's a live event on in Orlando, and they're playing at a golf course, which is all Bermuda, and nothing like what they're going to encounter next week um, at Augusta National. So their preparation will not be good, and if they don't have any form going in, they're going to have to try and find it uh, as they tee it up, and that's a very difficult thing to do. So they may be seeing some of the, uh, the fallout, I guess, of going to live and not being able to play week in, week out, like all these other players who have been grinding it out on the PGA Tour and the European Tour and so on. So... Uh, so we'll see how they go. I mean, there might be a, there might be a one that just sort of rises from the bunch and 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 catches a, a bit of a, a hot streak, I guess. Uh, come come the weekend at Augusta, but wouldn't it be fascinating to see the last pairing of a live golfer and a PGA Tour golfer together? That'd be quality oh, too. Would it not? You're absolutely right there. Patrick Reed or, or someone of that nature strolling up 18 alongside Rory McIlroy, that would be tasty. But uh, hey, uh, and, uh, you make a good point about uh, the golf, the standard of golf they're playing and the regularity of that. And of course, uh, of course, when you're playing on the PGA Tour time after time, you get pressure all the time. You get pressure almost every week if you want. Uh, and here's a great example from us living in New Zealand. Danny Lee, journeyman. Absolute journeyman, won the Greenbrier, and it seems like forever ago, but really struggles to make a cut from time to time. Strolls across, makes the decision to stroll across, wins what 4.6 mil um, American, 6.4 New Zealand dollars million. Uh, and to me, that's a great illustration of the point you're just making. Mm. Yeah, well, he's probably thinking this is the best business decision I've ever made, obviously, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it's it's exactly right. I mean, when you go to live, I mean, I, I don't know because I'm not over there, obviously, but I've, I've played in events where there is guaranteed money and it's more of a, not a hit and giggle, but there's less competition, less pressure. And, and certainly the expectations lower and a lot of the time you do play a little bit better. But I would imagine what we're seeing, I think, when the players first go to live, they, they play well because they think, oh, this is great. You know, I'm just going to enjoy myself. I've got guaranteed money coming in. If I have a good week, great. If, it, if I don't, it doesn't really matter. But I think as these events go on, when you get more to the middle back end of the season, 
you can almost see the the, the form starting to diminish uh, out of the 48 players. And sure, there's going to be a half dozen or a dozen that may play well week in and week out. But the uh, the difference between the winning scores and the worst scores are getting almost wider and wider. Whereas on the PGA Tour, what you'll find is to make a cut. I mean, you obviously have to shoot under par now. And the the bunching of the players and the depth is just incredible. And I think we'll see that depth definitely widening on the Live Tour as it goes along, just because there is no there is no consequence to what they're doing. They're not really grinding it out to make a cut or anything like that. So that's the choice they've made. And I, I completely understand they've gone for, you know, that guaranteed source of income. And look, hats off to Danny Lee. Uh, it was a great win for him. But is it going to be remembered? You know, probably not. I'm more interested in watching Ryan Fox play the Masters uh, next week yeah. because you know he, he's he's putting together a great career and you must all be very proud of him to uh, to be representing the country over there we are we are, absolutely are and we we kind of figure that uh, we'd love to see him more playing uh, in america but it's it's probably just me talking selfishly um there's a nice <laughs> crop of there's nice crop of golfers who sort of drifted away who are starting to just sort of ease their way back and i'm, I'm putting uh, Ricky Fowler in there, I'm talking Jordan Spieth in there, and I'm put, putting Jason Day in there, of course. He was second back in 2011. Jason Day looks the goods all of a sudden. He certainly does, and at the start of the year, he, he wasn't in the Masters, obviously top 50 get in, and he was ranked about 115 in the world at that time, uh, you know, come 1st of January, and this year he's played seven events and hasn't finished outside the top 20, so that's remarkable golf. He's had five top 10s, and it's just, he's, he's got it back. You know, he's, he's got his body under control. He's injury-free. That was always a big issue for him throughout his career because of the speeds he went at it. But he's been working with his new coach, Chris Como, and they've sorted that out as well. So uh, I'm excited for him uh, at the Masters. You know, as you said, he finished runner-up in 2011, maybe third in 2013 with Adam Scott won, and then had a top five when Tiger won in 2019. So... Uh, with his form going in, you could say he's one of the favourites, but he's almost uh, in a great position because no one's really expecting him to win, but he knows he's playing well. He has great history there, and and uh, he could be a real shot at it. And the other one that's got me excited to see how he plays there is Minwoo Lee as well because he's an excitement mm. machine, this young man from Western Australia, and anything's possible with him. He could he could miss the cattle. He could you know be contending in the last group on a Sunday. Who knows? Nick, always great catching up with you. Uh, mouth-watering, mouth-watering prospect. Uh, just before we let go, we're hearing unprecedented numbers and levels of interest for Adelaide for Live. Are you hearing that? I am, yeah. I heard it's all sold out. Uh, you know, Australia wants to see these players that they never get a chance to see. So I'll be, I'll be there. Well, I won't be there, but I'll be fascinated to see how the tournament goes and how it's run and see Greg Norman back and the reception he gets, obviously. And you know, uh, at the end of the day, we all just want to see great golf. And uh, if it's in a different style of format to what we're seeing, so be it. But, you know, you call me old school. I still love the old 72-hole, uh, you know, grinded-out type golf. But uh, it's nice to see something different. And in that point, you know, let's hope some, some sort of form of the match play comes back because at this stage, uh, the match play uh, seems to be gone. But I hope it comes back because we need more players uh, playing that style of golf, I think. Enjoy it. Uh, enjoy, uh, that. enjoy talking to you too, Nick, and thanks so much for your time. Uh, a lot to look forward to in the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, go well. Thank you. Thanks, Millie. Cheers. Enjoy. Cheers. Uh, Nick O'Hearn there, um, very, very accomplished, uh, I should say. Uh, ex excellent golfer, in fact. You, you play to the level that he has amongst the company he has. You are amongst the upper echelon and uh, now, of course, uh, on his uh, podcast, uh, Talk Birdie to Me. 
um, you can uh, get hold of that as well and get uh, updates. It's 11.22 here on SENZ Sports Decks. Sports Desk too, next. When times get tough, we'll be here for you on SCNZ. Thinking of you, my beautiful Hawks Bay and all of New Zealand. Kia kaha. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Right, let's do that straight away. Let's head across to Logan Swinkles at uh, the sports desk. And Logan, Scotty Scheffler gets to design the menu this time around at the Masters. Yeah, I thought, you know, we're half an hour out uh, from midday, getting close to lunchtime, so just thought I'd make uh, our listeners all a little bit hungry going through the uh, Masters Club dinner that Schiffler has designed. It came out, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but because we're only a week out, let's get into it. The entrees, cheeseburger sliders served Scotty style. Now, there's a lot of debate on Twitter about what that actually means. I think uh, the more common answer seems to be protein style. So, you know, no carb wrapped in a lettuce leaf. And then firecracker shrimp with sweet Thai chili and sriracha mayo. I'm a big fan of sriracha mayo, not so much seafood. But then there's also the next course. It's a four-course menu, tortilla soup, which uh, I've never had it before. Man, it is good. Comes with avocado, crispy blue tortilla strips, sour cream, cilantro, and lime. Then the main... You get a Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish, so a family-style mac and cheese, jalapeno creamed corn, fried Brussels sprouts, uh, and seasoned fries, so that's all served family-style. And then the dessert, man, this is one I would get behind Smithy. Uh, I more commonly call it a pizzuki, so a pizza cookie, but a warm chocolate chip skillet cookie with uh, cookies and cream ice cream. That just sounds incredible. It does sound mouth-watering, I've got to say. Uh, the fried Brussels sprouts interest me. I hope there's a little bit of bacon or a bit of onion with them, just to season them a wee bit. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm not likely to have it, because I haven't won the Masters, but it sounds like a, a hell of a menu to me, Yeah, uh, to be perfectly honest. So, mm, very cool. Very cool. They don't eat that well on the sales NBL, but they're still signing players, aren't they? Yes, they are. I'll very quickly go through that because there is uh, some other player, well, not player movement, but news happening in the NFL that I want to get to. The Franklin Bulls, uh, their GM this year is Mika Vakona. He's making some moves, signing out of Europe, uh, Ricky McGill, and also Jamal Brantley uh, staying, as we've heard, and stumped earlier. So that's cool that he's going to stick around. Uh, Kaya Isaac is going to the Canterbury Rams. Caleb Smile is going to the Otago Nuggets. Uh, more to come. We'll definitely be focusing on that a little bit more as the season creeps onto us next month. And then Smithy, in the NFL, uh, Lamar mm. Jackson has requested a trade from the Baltimore Ravens. He's one of the primary focuses of the 2023 NFL offseason after playing the most recent season on his fifth-year option of his rookie contract. Negotiations on an extension have stalled uh, after Baltimore placed a non-exclusive franchise tag on Jackson. What that means is that other players are allowed to negotiate with Lamar, but Baltimore retain a right to match the offer or receive two first-round picks if he were to depart. 
Now today, uh, earlier this morning, Jackson sent out a series of tweets beginning with a letter to my fans uh, representing the course of recent events from his vantage point saying that he had requested a trade from Baltimore on March 2nd. Uh, and then the Ravens coach John Harbour had this to say in response. I'm excited, thinking about Lamar all the time, thinking about him as our quarterback. We're building our offense around that idea, and, uh, and I'm just looking forward to getting back to football. And I'm confident that's going to happen. You got you got two sides that, that appreciate each other here, you know. And I think I, I think you know Lamar believes in us, and we believe in Lamar, and and we know where we want to go forward. So it's a monetary thing that can be figured out, that can be worked out. That's just a matter of negotiating and. I think we just continue down that road, and eventually it'll get it'll it'll, it'll work out. There's always going to be creative ways to figure that stuff out. And the creative ways around that, Smithy, uh, unlike a lot of players, Lamar Jackson, uh, he actually represents his, himself. He doesn't have an agent, so I don't know if that's going to make things uh, a little bit stickier or easier. Hard to say, but uh, things are at a bit of a stalemate with Baltimore right now. I hope he's got a good lawyer if he hasn't got an agent. Okay, thanks very much, uh, Logan. We're going to get across to the news uh, with Araha now and uh, waiting for us uh, in the Christchurch studios, uh, Mr. Shane O'Brien from Collier's Rural. We're going to talk uh, about some uh, agricultural insights uh, after the news here. With the very latest in rural news, this is Ag Insights on Mornings with Ian Smith, Collier's Rural and Agribusiness. Licence REAA 2008. Well, every Tuesday here on SENZ in the mornings, uh, we like to uh, catch up with uh, what's happening in the agricultural sector, and uh, that's courtesy of our relationship with the Colliers Rural. And uh, once in a while, we, we like to get uh, inside the business and talk to someone who's very much hands-on. And today, we're going to do that with uh, Shane O'Brien, who's sitting right now in our Christchurch studio, uh, raring to go. Shane, good morning to you. Thanks for popping in. Good morning, Smithy. Great to be here. Hey, Shane, tell us about your role with Colliers. Um, and I'm one of the uh, directors of the rural business based here in Canterbury. I've been in rural real estate for about 29 years, uh, most of that time, or all that time really, down here in Canterbury. But uh, I'm part of the uh, Colliers nationwide network, um, as part of a team of about 50-odd now, including salespeople and uh, rural valuers. Uh, and okay. uh, so we've got a good coverage across the country. Excellent. Uh, I've got an operation here in uh, Hawke's Bay. I know uh, one of the two of the people involved there, which is, uh, which is cool. Tell us about um, working with uh, the rural community because uh, rural properties tend to uh, change hands a lot less often, of course, than, uh, than urban properties as such. I guess it's relationship building over a period of time. Very much so, In And, uh, you know, we've always taken the, the view people don't uh, know, don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And, um, um, so yeah, it's really important that you have those relationships. There's, uh, it's a big decision they're making when they go to sell the property. It's often been in the family for a number of generations, um, and it's not just the farm. It's their income. It's their uh, their uh, legacy, um, and uh, and has a lot of emotional factors with it. So it's important that uh, we earn the trust of those people who are looking to work with. So uh, it's an interesting side of it, uh, the rural side of it for me. When you look at it from a director's point of view. Do you look at it regionally in terms of trends or do you look at it nationally as you tend to do with more, I don't know, city-orientated sales patterns, etc.? Is it a regional structure uh, that you look at or, or overall? 
Um, that's a really good question, Smithy. It, you do tend to look at it nationwide, and that's important, and that's why we sort of have the nationwide coverage, because things that impact the markets in various areas in the North Island, and a good example is the recent, uh, recently been all the uh, land that's gone into forestry, and whilst that's a, a bit of a political point, it has freed up a number of buyers who have started to look to come down to the South Island. So it's really important we have that nationwide sort of perspective with their thinking. And I think also in an international um, view, things and we, we're quite closely aligned with our Australian agribusiness partners over there. Um, we've got quite a presence around Australia for, for exactly that reason, sharing sort of global insights and understanding where the market is so we can give the people who we're working with the best possible advice. Okay, in terms of the best possible advice, what do clients seek from you? If I'm looking to perhaps sell or offload some, subdivide or something of that nature, what am I looking for? What am I getting from you? The, the, the key thing really is a good, informed, well-informed, well-balanced advice is really the best thing we can give any of our, our clients. And uh, and we've got to be really well-informed. And one of the advantages we have at uh, Collier's is that we're um, aligned with a, a rural valuation practice, which is a completely independent practice, but they uh, uh, we have the ability to share insights with them. Um, but also making sure that we've got the timing right going into the market, trying to establish uh, what might be in front of us and that's one of the advantages of being around, sort of in my case, 29 years, and some of the other the rest mm. of the team have been around for a while as well. Just getting that insight to where, where the market's heading, where, where's the best time, and also when's the property look at its best, and when do we know the buyers are going to be around to look at it. So, for example, uh, a lot of in the South Island here, Smithy, is very much a spring and autumn market, um, and particularly in the sheep and beef and dairy sector. So you promote and advertise the property in spring with the idea of getting a deal closed before Christmas, and then the property will uh, change hands in a sheep and beef case often in March, April or thereabouts. There's no um, set rules around that. It's just what works best with the farming system and, and the buyers and the dairy uh, guys obviously later in the year. Obviously, um, we're looking at a, a fairly difficult time for a lot of businesses around the country at the moment, uh, people talking recessions, etc. cetera. Uh, Shane, how's, how's it impacted on property values uh, throughout New Zealand and the pressure on farmers? What are you hearing? The, um, it's probably important the rural market is it's quite isolated from the residential market. But that said, I think the, the probably word I'd use at the moment is subdued, Smithy. Um, it, the sales volumes are definitely back, no doubt about it. The number of properties on the market uh, this year are back on previous years. Um, and that's often uh, aligned to uh, election year. A lot of people adopt a bit of a wait and see approach. Um, certainly, the increase in uh, interest rates is uh, you know flowing through to buyers' decisions. Uh, you know, just a fair bit of money going out. And then if you're looking at a sort of ten or twelve million dollar dairy farm, you can imagine the interest component on some of those on the borrowings. You know, it, it it's a big decision for the for the buyers. Um, but you know, I think the fundamentals of the market are, are, are very strong. Um, the banks are still keen to support the rural sector. Um, there's, you know, there's no question of that, and, that, and obviously that's really helpful. But you know, I think buyers are just being really cautious at the moment. And you know, there's a lot of moving parts on farms nowadays, and particularly around the regulatory compliance. And, and to answer your question, I think that's one thing that the farmers are probably grappling with, this whole new regime of more compliance and, and, and bureaucracy sort of coming in with the freshwater strategies and uh, review of the Resource Management Act. You know, it's all starting to just 
take a bit of the fun out of it, you could say. So that's impacting both sellers' decisions and, and buyers' decisions. But again, the fundamentals are good. Uh, the sales that are coming through this year are still quite strong. We haven't seen any uh, correction in the market uh, so far, but you know that could, could change as the year progresses. Uh, Shane, uh, as you say, 29 years in the game, um, starting way, way back. In terms of um, farming, style of farming these days, I mean, back in the day, I would imagine it was very much just um, the dry stock farming um, and, of course, a, 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 maybe a bit of dairy thrown in as such. What have you noticed in terms of the varietals in farming now and the properties that you're dealing with? Yeah, it's uh, there's been a massive joke growth there, um, Smithy, and, and it's been great to see it here in Canterbury. I mean, when I started in real estate, we're just at the forefront of the dairy conversion, um, uh, I suppose, the, the decade that followed. There was just a massive land grab for dairy conversion, and we had some bigger corporates uh, operating throughout the South Island, and then just uh, the whole industry being driven by a lot of North Islanders coming down to get scale, uh, getting irrigated land down here. We had good, well-developed irrigated irrigation systems uh, back then, irrigation schemes, um, so yeah, and then from that we've sort of seen the the next market develop is really like the dairy support, so the the land that could support with young stock, dry stock, and feed for those bigger dairy mm. units. Um, you know, the average size of the dairy, Canterbury dairy farm is around eight hundred cows, so you know that's it's a big dairy farm these days, and uh, um, so it's been great to watch that. And then I suppose in more recent times, you know, the the flourishing uh, horticultural industry, you know, that's really grown in leaps and bounds. And, you know, and on the back of the you know, international global demand for, for food and fibre. It's, it's, it's mm. an exciting industry to be part of, and a, it's a great story that um, I don't think New Zealand's great at telling, uh, to be honest, Smithy. Just just finally, um, uh, Shane, I know you've uh, got to get back and uh, get back to work as such, but uh, with your experience as a director, are you positive? Are you, are you relatively positive about the immediate future? Yes, no, I, I am uh, positive, and, and even more so today. Um, we were very fortunate; college sponsored the um, the Nuffield Triennial International Agribusiness Summit here in Christchurch um, over the weekend, and it runs for nine days. And there's um, about five hundred of us in the Christchurch Town Hall yesterday, and we were very fortunate mm-hmm. to hear from some of the the best rural leaders in New Zealand. And look, you couldn't help but come out of that um, absolutely positive uh, about farming in New Zealand. I mean, it's not without its challenges, but I, I think it's a really it's a really exciting industry to be part of, and uh, it was great for colleagues to play their part in as a, a, a sponsor of the um, conference over the last couple of days. But you, you couldn't, you know, it was inspirational. Um, but I think the one thing is that as everything's changing around us, New Zealand's really got to step up and tell your story better on the global stage because we've got one of the best stories in the world to tell. Shane O'Brien, absolutely wonderful to meet you, even though it's uh, long distance. Uh, great to hear your positive thoughts uh, about uh, what's uh, so much a core of uh, New Zealand's, not just their way of life, but our uh, financial future. Uh, cheers, man. Thank you. Um, and have a good remainder of the day and the rest of the conference. I hope it's successful. Thanks, Smithy. Great to be here. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Shane O'Brien there, folks, uh, out of our Christchurch studio. Uh, a director, as you heard there, from uh, Collier's Rural Nationwide, uh, it's a big and growing business and uh, in great shape as well. Uh, thanks very much uh, to Shane for his time. It's 11.43 here on SENZ. With the very latest is Ag Insights on Mornings with Ian Smith. Profit from the best advice with Collier's Rural and Agribusiness. Licence REAA 2008.
For all winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, have a score update uh, on the Ford Trophy final in a second from uh, Logan Swinkles, but uh, Kevin sent in a cricketing text, so we'll uh, mention that as well. Uh, good chat to Garth. That was Garth Galloway first up this morning. The series at the moment is very mediocre. Okay, we won the test by small margins, but uh, digging deeper, we only have five players who continue to get us there against quality sides. Latham, Conway, Kane, Mitchell and Blundell and Tim uh, at six. The rest are just uh, not quite so making up the numbers as he says, but uh, all along, embrace will Nichols against quality are no match for Australia, England, Nichols working uh, a rubber band tightrope. I hope they give Young, who can play spin, 29 chances as well. Kevin, they won't. They won't. In fact, um, Henry Nichols will get a multitude of chances again on the back of that double hundred. Don't worry about that. Um, he will uh, be guaranteed uh, another couple of years at uh, number four or five in the test side. Mark my words. Uh, it is uh, 11.50, yeah, and uh, let's get across for score updates and some news of a possible auction as well. Yes, uh, keeping tracks of the Four Trophy Grand Final going underway uh, at Napier's McLean Park right now. Looks like a gorgeous day, Smithy. So if anyone's out in the region, uh, it is free. But, I mean, you get admission is by uh, donation for the Cyclone Relief Fund. Canterbury won the toss and have elected to bat. They're currently 54 for one after 11 overs. That first wicket going from the bowling of Doug Bracewell, currently AJS Patel, uh, has just finished his first over on that auction, Smithy, uh, Central Stags have put up a signed helmet and shirt by one Ross Taylor. And the proceeds of that all go towards the Hawks Bay Cyclone Relief Fund as well. Uh, just search Central Stags Cyclone Relief on Trade Me. That closes at 9 p.m. tonight. It's currently, uh, the current bid is $700. Uh, I think there's quite a few people going for it. There's photos of the helmet and the shirt. That helmet looks awesome, Smithy. That would look amazing in, uh, in the pool room, in the office, anywhere you like. It would be a great piece. Oh, pool room? Well, I don't How have a pool. paid? <laughs> no, I don't no, have a pool room. I've got a little boxy office in my third bedroom, mate. That's as far as it goes for me. Well, <laughs> look around. Look around. This is my this is my bedroom. I'm working from my bedroom. This is, I mean, goodness sake. Holy heck. Pool room. I, was, I thought you were talking about a pool room with a pool table. You are talking with a pool. Oh, my goodness. No, definitely a pool table, mate. <laughs> <laughs> pool table. Oh, the kind of things the breakfast boys get with all their perks, but uh, not us guys that work uh, like Trojans from 9 to 12, which is about to come to an end, actually, uh, because uh, we're going to talk to Staffy, who is also uh, part of the spine, the spine here on SENZ.